That's right. And it's the, oh my gosh, there is a pandemic and still Steve Fezzik, who hasn't bet effectively in five months, could still go on vacation edition <laughs> of the Dream Preview. Yes, this is a one-of-a-kind deal. I'm going to do a tight 20 solo, and I got to tell you, I think that it's going to be pretty good because we got Dak Prescott, and I've got to take on it, quite frankly. I haven't heard. We've got the Henry signing, Derrick Henry. I also have, I think, a minority take on that. And I'm giving you a best bet. I love, this is a jumbo payout NFL bet that I love. I've been saving it. I've been saving it. And then after that, we're going to have me and Maddie Holt talking about Billy Walters at length. This is, was a deep, deep dive. You might say, I'm skipping this RJ stuff, going right to the Billy stuff. Eh, give it a shot here. Give it a shot. And then <laughs> Fez talks poker and he talks about his wife. No details on the prenup, but he is on vacation. And I'm not. Showtime! Woo! All right. Here's what people's got wrong. I think about Dak. Everyone's talking about who's to blame. I think, you know, is it the Cowboys' fault? Is it Dak's fault, which you're not hearing as much? I'd make the case we have no freaking clue. What you know is when something gets leaked, it's leaked for a reason. There's a deliberate intent to get it out there, which means the party getting it out there wants it out there. Does it mean it's untrue? No. Does it mean it's true? No. So let's look at what we know is true. And we're going to look at both sides quickly. What has the sides done? What have they done to show a commitment to the other? I'd make the case Dak hasn't done anything. Now, if you want to say, well, he signed the franchise tender. Okay. Yeah. He's going to take $31.4 million to play. I'm not sure that's anything other than what was his choice, right? When we always ask ourselves, what is the alternative? And if the alternative is horrible or not even viable, then doing what you do was a no-brainer. That's effectively what a no-brainer is. Dak really didn't have much of a choice. What else has he done? Has he come into camp early? Has he, you know, or even with the Zoom meetings, has he been super supportive of the cat? I'd make the case no. I'm not saying he's done anything wrong, but I'm saying he hasn't signed the offers that were made. And you could say, RJ, we don't know what the offers are. I, I agree with you. We don't know. So literally what we're certain of about Dak when it comes to him being the party looking to solve this problem, we're not certain of anything he's done to be that party. On the other hand, with Dallas, there's one prominent thing we know, which is when they put the tag on Dak, they put the exclusive franchise tag, which is different from the non-exclusive franchise tag. Now, what is that difference? With the non-exclusive, other teams have the right to make a contract offer. And Dallas has to either match that offer or lose Dak. But they would have lost him for two first-round draft choices. And if you say, no, we don't even want that to be an option as a team, you have to pay more. That's the exclusive. How much more? Four and a half million dollars. 
So let's look at the numbers when it comes to that exclusive versus non-exclusive. If they would have said, hey, non-exclusive, we're going to tag them, but we're not going to make it exclusive, 26.9 million this year as opposed to 31.4. Four and a half million extra. That's pretty much, Dak's only been paid five million for four years of quarterbacking. They paid almost that same amount to avoid the chance that they'd have to match a team. Like the worst thing that could have happened is a team would have came in and said, oh, look, non-exclusive. Dak, we're going to offer you blank millions, a lot of sticks. And Dallas at that point could have said, huh, that is not the kind of deal we want to make. Wags, five sticks wired now to Wendy Rhodes' personal account. They said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And then Dallas would have got two first-round picks. Oh, my God, the tragedy. It's a pretty good deal. And usually it's not the bad teams or the teams drafted in the 20s and 30s that need the quarterbacks. Though maybe the Patriots in this case, who knows, before camp. I don't necessarily think so, but okay. I don't think they tend to give two first-round picks up. But even if Belichick or anybody would have came in, Dallas has the right to match. So they literally paid $4.5 million to either not have to match an offer that there's no idea if it would have came or not, or let the uh, let Dak go and take two first-round draft choices. They said, no, we don't even want to chance that, that we'd have to match or take two first-round draft choices, which would be their choice, that A or B, and there's a chance they wouldn't have to do either. In fact, a good chance, and they paid almost $5 million. That is a major sign they want Dak on that team. They want Dak on Dallas. Doesn't mean that Dallas hasn't done some chicanery with the negotiation. It means that what we know is this. The deal hasn't gotten done. There's reporting that the deal was pretty much done last year. And don't forget, Dak gained leverage, all the leverage, because he played his fourth year at the original contract. Remember, almost every other quarterback that this matters with doesn't have a 50-year option. Or, I'm sorry, they do have a 50-year option. Dak doesn't. Why? Because Dak wasn't a first-round draft choice. So Watson, Mahomes, all these, you know, all the signings, all the different things. And Dak's the one that literally, remember, the league doesn't let you re-sign a guy to a second deal until they've played three years. So if you're a non-first-round pick, there's one year that you can sign early. After three, you can sign and not have to play the fourth just on that original rookie deal. The, my understanding is that they had a deal done financially. Dallas and Dak, before last season, there was a few things to wrap up, dot the I's, cross the T's. And this is coming from Skip Bayless specifically on with uh, Sharp on, on the FS1 show. You could say, oh, he's a homer for Dallas, whatever. Okay, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. None, none of this for sure. That's kind of the premise. And Dak had a really strong start to the season. Game one, two, and three. I think he was in the 90s with his QBR. He was leading the league in QBR. And it was like, you know, that number just doesn't work anymore. All right. That led him to have to play his fourth year on that original contract. And once he did that... It transferred all the leverage. Why do you think the quarterbacks don't ever seem to leave, at least elite ones, leave the teams that draft them? 
It's because of the way the contracts are set up, especially with the 50-year option with the first-rounders, is it... Look at Mahomes as a perfect example. Mahomes could have played this... You know, again, he was a you know 10th pick, so his money's not like Dax. It wasn't that low. But it still wasn't a half a billion or, you know, anywhere close. So he would have had to play this year, then the 50-year option... Then he could have been tagged once. He could have been tagged twice. Kansas City had four more years. And quite frankly, when you have the best player in the league at a position, the tag's a hell of a choice because it's, what is it, McKenzie? I mean, uh, I know it's different if it's exclusive. And with Mahomes, they would have made it. So it's what, average of the top five the most recent year? That's right, for the current year. Yeah. So I'm pretty I'd be pretty so effectively you'd be paying him like as the second the second the two and a half best quarterback, right? So you know, you average now again it's not for sure it's going to be dis- distributed evenly, 1 2 3 4 and 5, but if it were, right? If one if the fifth guy made 50 million, the fourth guy made 60, 70, 80, 90, so those are the five, 5 through 9. So Mackenzie, tell me if this makes sense and you agree it's correct. Let's say that you had uh, the fifth guy making 60, fourth guy making 70, next guy 80, 90, 100. So it's between 60 and 100. And then you would say, okay, the average of that is going to be 75, right? Yep. And thus you would say the two and a half, you know, between the second and third highest paid guy. Mahomes, for that first year especially, as not the highest paid quarterback, Coming up not in 2020, not in 2021, which would have been the 50-year option, but in 2022, that's a hell of a deal for the team. So, and even 20% more than that would have been a fine deal. They had that much leverage over Mahomes, and thus it made it easier to make a team-friendly deal because Mahomes was gaining a lot, even it wasn't obvious. Same thing with Dak. Dak, but not same thing exactly, because there isn't that 50-year option. But the 50-year option at least pays you pretty well. That got paid like $2 million last year. And the fact that he got it through that, I don't know if he had insurance or not. And obviously, Dak's had enough um, sponsorships and commercials and stuff that he's making ancillary money. But once he got through last year, and we can debate, did he have an up year or down year? I'd make the case he, to me... He had a slightly better year than his, you know, his average of his first three. And even if it were the same, having another sample size, another year in the sample size just reinforces it. It's like Lamar Jackson. If he has one more year like he had last year, the odds of him being a Hall of Famer goes way up. One year, there's a lot of quarterbacks that have one year that don't have a career. Not as many have two years in a row, the first two, and not have a career, a good career. Now, I know we're in year four for Dak last year, but still, having another good year was a positive, I think, slightly for Dak. Going eight and eight wasn't, but again, how much was that him? If you look at his stats, it wasn't. But you could say, that's what winners do. They don't, you know, I don't know, maybe. But net-net, I think Dak's stock went up a little. At worst, it stayed flat. And now he went through a $2 million year. I don't know if he had insurance or not. And now he has the power. And even though he's got to, he's forced to take the 31-4. Huh, horrible. 
Sarcasm. What does Dallas do next year? Next year, it'd be 37-7. It's probably still worth it then. But you know what? The year after that would be 54 million. (laughs) 54 million. That's not going to happen. Bill Barnwell talked about, hey, they sign him next year or or tag him next year. They start the year eight, you know, five and four, six and four. Do you maybe think of trading Dak? Because if you're not going to pay him the 54, if you haven't, if you made him play two years on the tag anyway, you think it doesn't feel like he's signing probably. And you know what they would get after paying him 31-4 and 37-7? A third-round draft choice. So this is getting to be a tough spot. Now, Schefter said in September of 19 that Dak had an injury insurance of up to 50 mil. Okay. That that stuff's not cheap. That's not cheap. Now, again, banks could give them a loan. That's what's interesting. You get a loan to get the insurance, and (laughs) and the bank knows that, worst case, they'd be getting their money from the insurance. So I, I guess that's why being in finance is a good thing at that highest level. You get it coming and going. But Dak was in good, you know, he, he went through that. And there's also the sense of disrespect. Now, we can debate that or not. But it seems to me that we've seen nothing since, in, based on the reporting, since Dak backed away from a handshake type deal. And I'm not saying it was, I don't know if it was a true handshake or not, because he started the season hot. And since then, I haven't seen him do one thing that is a sign he wants to be with Dallas. And on Straight Out of Vegas today, Jonas Knox made an interesting point that Dak's brother passed away. Um, and he thought, oh, maybe it's a sign that, 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 that he, Dak's mad at the Cowboys because through this troubled time, the Cowboys weren't giving him what he wanted. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's Dak saying, you know, I haven't liked this situation for a while and now I see that life is short, you know, which we all know. But sometimes, you know, when it's reinforced, it's reinforced. I don't know. This is a ton of speculation, but it's important because you're going to be hearing so much of all this. And what we know is very narrow. And what we know, I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet that it's Dak that's been difficult. And he has an agent, Todd France from CAA, who's renowned to be a very hard negotiator. And listen, all of the guys at that level are good negotiators. It's just, you know, what kind of pain are you willing to put your client through, the other side through, what kind of lingering resentments to get that last 5%? And you got to wonder, you know, there's this question is asked sometimes with a smile. When does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? But how much is enough? Because if what they're fighting over is year four or five, as some people reported, or if it's between 36 and 38 million, or you know, it's like, do you really like literally not take, not take that deal before the fourth year, before last year? Because no one else has ever done this. Literally the only quarterback who has played under the franchise tag since 2005 was Kirk Cousins. That's it. That's the list. And Washington didn't want him long-term. By all accounts, Dallas has made offers that seem to be in the ballpark. But somehow, Dak is doing something that's never been done before. Saying, I'll take insurance out. 
I'll play cheap because I want my, ultimately, I want to get out of here. What else could it be? Could it be about the fifth year? But that wasn't the case last year, was it? And plus, when he doesn't play, is he going to what? Sign a three-year extension next year? Because if it's a four-year next year, then effectively it was five years, right? And if he was so worried about that, why didn't he sign a five-year last year? Which would be effectively a four-year this year. It doesn't make any sense. Listen, when, when something happens for the one time, the first time, I usually think, hmm, that's where the story is. And we could say that Jerry Jones, for the first time, what, didn't want to pay his quarterback or didn't want to pay a fair market value for anybody. When's the last time he didn't want to pay a fair market value for anybody? Meaning he's always paid a fair market value. And lately, more so, because I believe that he's feeling his mortality. Well, I mean, just statistically, he has to be. And he wants a Super Bowl on the way out. And you think he wants to start over at quarterback, over, what, one and a half million, over a 50? I don't think so. I think something has happened at some point that made Dak not want to stay in Dallas. And every, if I would tell you that from the time Dak turned down the extension after the third week last year, last season, if I told you something happened that was as major as it, anything could, like Jerry Jones went up and did something bad to one of Dak's family members. I mean, I don't want to use an example because what's the point? But imagine something that egregious, like where typically you'd want to fight the guy. Or if this was the 1800s, there'd be a duel. That kind of egregiousness. How would have Dak's actions been any different than they've been? You could say, well, he wouldn't even negotiate at all. He'd, sign, he'd take the 31, but he wouldn't negotiate at all. But then it, he looks bad at that point. And isn't it interesting that the late breaking news today was Dak tried to make an offer. They just couldn't do it at the end. So somehow the story that's getting leaked is Dak was the one trying to make the offer, which tells me he wasn't the one trying to make the offer. Because why would you be doing it in the last 12 hours at numbers that seem less than I heard he's turned down? So to me, this is interesting because this is what we do with handicapping. We have imperfect information. We have to decide what matters, what doesn't. In this case, we and if something is unique, if something's uncommon, we give it more weight. We say, hey, maybe we're wrong. Brad's always talked, and I like his theory on this, that when you have these historical outliers... You want to tend to bet against them. If someone never is, a team's never favored by double digits to NAR, it means it's an all-time situation. And oftentimes we overreact to what we think are all-time situations. So what we are saying is things ha that are rare, things that are one of a kind, they're noteworthy by definition. Jerry Jones not wanting to pay fair price is noteworthy. It'd be one of a kind. And a quarterback saying, nah. Uh, over these small details, I'm not. I'm going to play this fourth year and not make any real money. That'd be one of a kind. And if we think both of those are happening and there's nothing big behind it, hmm, I don't think that's true. I think there's something big. And I can't even fathom why Dallas would pay the extra $4.5 million to be so sure to get Dak this year if they didn't want to sign him to a long-term deal. That, that It's not like he's old. It's not like... A running back that there were Mackenzie, you've listened to this now. We've worked on the data. Can you 
in a sincere way, even play devil's advocate that, that no, I, you know, I, you think it's Jerry Jones. No, just Jen, uh, Ms. Slater's reporting that they offered him 33 to 35. I thought it would be a little bit higher than that as far as their final well, well, offer. Hold on. I don't think that was the – I think that the reporting was, and if you read the tweet maybe, um, I, we, we can make sure I'm right or you're right, is my understanding was that they said that the deal that Dak was trying to get done was for that amount, which just makes Dak look better than I think it's fair to make him look. So here's the verbatim. I'm told Cowboys QB Prescott was involved at the last minute in an effort. You know, so he's the one involved. He's the verb here. In an effort to get a long-term deal done, but it was up against the 3 p.m. Central deadline per, per source informed. The deal was between 33 and 35 with 110 guaranteed. That's saying Dak was trying to get that deal and just time ran out. You see that? Yeah, I saw that. And also earlier well, this week. Hold on, hold on. So what you were saying before is wrong, right? Before you were saying that's what Dallas was offering. No, no. Or, or, or that's what Dallas offered and Dak said no. This is actually saying no, Dak would have been fine with 33 or so. Just couldn't get it done. Right. And I don't think either of us believe that. Yeah. When you look at this tweet from Slater, it, it seems obvious to me this is Dak not wanting to seem like he's doing what he's doing, in my opinion, which is he's doing his time on Maple Drive. <laughs> he's doing his time, and he's going to be gone. And who knows why? That's my prediction. Obviously, the odds even now are way against Dak not being there in a couple years. But the odds were like minus 400 that he would sign an extension before this deadline. Now, here's a tweet from Slater earlier. It says, I'm told, I'm told the final offer on the table for Dak is between 33 and 35 with over 100 guaranteed. Um, while there have still been no discussions between the two, that's the deal the Cowboys have presented ahead of tomorrow's deadline. Okay, so let's think about this. Last year, 33 was the rumored number. That was, again, with all the advantages of getting the money early and all that Dak would have benefited from. And by all accounts, the number, you know, the debate was, oh, does he want more than 40? And he wants 45 in year five. The idea that Dallas, after all of this, would, it just mathematically is almost doesn't make any sense. Because if you think about the reality of the tag, if, if, if this year, and it is, is 31-4, and next year's 37-7, okay, you do some simple math here, it's almost 70 million, a smidge less than 70 for two years. Guaranteed, you know, once the second year is tagged, which is not for sure, but what would have to happen for it not to be by either them or someone else paying, another team paying that amount and more. So... If you're averaging 35 for the first two years of a five-year deal, how in the heck can the average be 33 over five? It can't. Wouldn't you say, McKenzie? Yeah, I would. Yep. I mean, you had a way it could be? <laughs> no, I racked my brain, but there's not. So this is coming from Dak. He wants to make it look like Dallas has been unreasonable. And even so... Our, the boy hero tried to get the job done. Dakota tried to get the job done. <laughs>
because he loves the fans. And when he leaves, it's going to be with a heavy heart. But he had done everything he could, everything. I'm telling you the story before it happens. Now, maybe Jerry comes in at 42 next fall or, or after the league year. And Dak's going to be like, you know, I don't like it, but I can sleep in a bed of money. I mean, that to me, that's what this feels like. If Jerry made the Godfather offer, he'll take it. Otherwise, he'll he'll take his money 31-4, 54, or he's free. And oh, by the way, if you say, huh, who's actually done well? In fact, who's done the best when it comes to money in the NFL? Oh, let's just say since Kirk Cousins had a similar situation. So 2016 is when this started. And in that time, this these are the top earning NFL players. Matt Stafford, number five, 125 sticks. Ryan, 126 sticks. That's Matt Ryan. Russell Wilson, 128. Aaron Rodgers, number two, 129. Kirk Cousins, the top earning NFL player from 2016 through and counting 2020 salary, 100. And 38. So literally between two and four has about a $4 million spread. And between one and two, Cousins is up like over $8 million. It's not even close. He's earned the most. But it was a trade-off. He had risk. He had uncertainty. Didn't have that security. Dak figures once he got through year four, he's fine. And here we are. Final word, and this is on this topic. And this is a counterpoint that doesn't make my point. The coach McCarthy, when he got hired, literally did not talk to Dak for over a week. Not didn't speak a word to him. And Jonas on Straight Out of Vegas said that can't be. He he didn't believe it. And it was like, well, we actually have a quote from McCarthy. So he was hired January third. This was to the NFL Network on January tenth. So seven days later. Quote, I have not talked to Prescott. My immediate responsibilities have been abundant. I need to get on the phone. Abundant? So what? After Aaron Rodgers, you never want to talk to another quarterback? I could see it. I can see it. But let's just say this. If you, in life, if you want to... If you want to feel wronged, if you want to feel disrespected, you can find a way regardless. And obviously that is unusual and quite frankly, could not have helped things. Okay. Topic two of two for me before the best bet. Let's talk Derek Henry. Personally, I don't think this was a bad deal. I know the old running backs don't hire running or don't re-sign them. Don't give them jumbo deals. But once again, let's look at the numbers. So the tag, and this was non-exclusive, would have been for $10.3 million. The deal is effectively paying Henry $12.5 this year, $12.5 next year. Now, if we assume that Henry would have been tagged a second time, and we don't know that for sure, 20% on top of it, it would have been right around that $12.5. So this first year, they're paying about $2.2 million more to Henry. So what did Henry gain from this deal? And really, that's what... Tennessee gave up in this deal. It's one and the same. And it was about a little over $2 million over these two years. Okay. Also, they gave a guarantee for next year. There's a chance if Henry hit the wall that, 
in fact, not a chance. It would almost been for sure. Tennessee would have said, all right, thanks for your service. See you at the reunion. But they wouldn't pay 12 and a half. So extra $2 million and change over two years. And the guarantee for next year is what they gave up. Not that much, especially considering Henry is going to be 27 at the end of this year. It's not 31, you know, 20. Is he going to drop off something? You know, he had a hell of a workload, right? So that's part of it. What did they gain? What did Tennessee gain? A ton of goodwill from Henry and from Henry's teammates and from future potential Tennessee Titans. Oh, they take Titans, they take care of their players. That has value. Now, I don't think it has as much as some people think because I don't think anyone's signing with the Rams because of that. Oh, look, they gave Goff money. They gave Gurley. They're going to be thinking, heck, I don't want to be on a team with these kind of contra- you know, these kind of salary cap problems. But if you can walk that line and be seemingly fair and generous but not put yourself in cap hell, it's a good thing. But to me, it's Henry when, when running hard, when not being afraid to carry the ball. You know, last thing you want to do is be carrying the ball a bunch when you're on a year-to-year. But remember, Tennessee, though it's a four-year deal, has a very smooth, painless out after two years. And in fact, options in year three and four are team options effectively because they will allow the contract to continue if they want. So that's asset in a small way because I think it's unlikely that they'd want it to continue at those prices. So it's effectively a two-year deal for 25 as opposed to a one-year deal at 10.3. I just believe this all hinges on Henry is likely to still be good in 2021. And if you actually look at, and McKenzie, pregame.com research, did an interesting job on this. This is the decline of super backs, as I call them. These are the backs that at a given point were maybe considered by some to be close to the best back in the league. Almost certainly a top three back. And this goes back seven years. These are the backs that have been that but have dropped off. Gurley, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, LaShawn McCoy, some say Shady, Marshawn Lynch, some say Beast Mode, DeMarco Murray, and Matt Forte. Now, we look. We have their last great season, their fall-off season, and then the plus-one season after the fall-off. So it's three years. Last great one, fall-off, fall-off plus-one. And here's the ages that the players had their initial fall-off, which is what, in theory, you'd want to avoid with Henry in these first two years. Remember, Henry is going to be 28 that second year. 28 the second year of this contract. Todd Gurley, 25, though injury. David Johnson, 26. Le'Veon Bell, 25. Shady McCoy, 29. Lynch, 29. DeMarco Murray, 27. Forte, 29. So the average, 27.1. Now you could make a case Henry has had, he's more of a bruising back. You would think they age faster. But at minimum, it's in range. It wouldn't be shocking if Henry's still pretty good next year. Or check that. Uh, when I say next year, I would mean 2021. It's possible he's not. That's the risk. And finally, on Henry, if you look at the highest paid running backs for 2020 now, it's McCaffrey, $16 million. Elliott, Zeke, $15 million. Le'Veon Bell, whew, 
13-1. David Johnson, who was traded for, apparently 13. Derrick Henry, 12 and a half. And then number six, eight and a half million. The sixth most valuable running back in the NFL or highest paid, eight and a half million. Kenyon Drake from Arizona. Think about it. Dallas paid four and a half to have that extra protection with Dak, which is half the price of the sixth most valuable running back in the NFL. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Quarterback is king. And I think it's interesting to look at, especially with McCaffrey and Elliott, the you know, two most recent deals before Henry. It's interesting to look and see what year, how old are they when the contract is over? McCaffrey's 29 when it's over, but Carolina has a painless out before the last year. They have a kind of painful, a little bit of pain out after year four. They have a painless out after year five, and there's a sixth year. So if they take the painless out, he would be 28, McCaffrey, the last year. Very smart of Carolina to line that up. Now, Zeke, 31 is last year. But some of those last couple of years, the outs aren't as painful. Or actually, they're painless also the last two years for Zeke. So in theory, they could get rid of him when they're 20. he's 29. Except at his current age, it seems by all accounts, he's already slowing down. So, yeah, in theory, you could say 29, you know, or 28, 20, not so, or 29, not so bad, but I mean, he's 25 right now. And you literally have, again, back to Skip Bayless on Undisputed. Is that the name of it? That's right. (laughs) All right, see, is he goes, I know we're not going to see Peak Zeke anymore. But I'm thinking we can get 80% up. He's 20. He, he was 24 last year. I mean, I got that right. Right. That's right. He turns 25 on July 22nd in a couple of days. <laughs> so he was almost 23 last year. I mean, he was like 20. You know, he had just turned 24. And somehow the peak years are behind him. Mm. I don't think I, I'm anxious to be paying him uh, 20 million or whatever in, when he's 29. Again, it feels like Jerry Jones made a bad deal, but how does he tend to err? He tends to overpay. Why wouldn't he overpay Dak, especially when he committed so much money just to make zero chance anyone could grab him up? All right, we got some best bets coming up. First up, they call him Tommy the Hitman. He's a school teacher. He weighs 147 pounds. He's 5'11". He, his, his skin is translucent, you could almost say. But he's called the hitman. Why? You know why. Let's listen. Best bet. Jets under seven wins, minus 130. And I like it all the way down to six and a half plus money. Let's start with the fact that the Jets will play the third toughest strength of schedule this season based off opponent season win totals. The Jets won seven games last year. But they did that with one of the easiest schedules in the league, and they finished with a Pythagorean win total of five and a half, meaning that they were fortunate to win those seven games. The Jets still lack a formidable offensive line and struggle mightily at cornerback and edge rusher, plus still have one of the worst head coaches in the league in Adam Gase. Best bet, Jets under seven wins. Oh, Colin would not like that pick. Colin would not like that pick. <laughs> this is where I go. I go to Vegas. Via the Coward Global Satellite Network, RJ Bell, pregame.com. That's fine and Danny. I don't like Sam Darnold. I really think, I don't understand how these 
certain people have the media supporting him no matter what. And maybe Sam Darnold's going to have a great career. History says Pro Football Focus did something interesting about after two years. And um, I, I'm skeptical. So I like this bet. I like it. All right. Now, he looks like an uncle. He's called Uncle Dave because, quite frankly, he is kindly accepted for his money on the line. Then he's Diamond Dave. Let's listen. Dave Esler. I've given listeners NFL and NBA winners. Now I'm going full tilt renaissance man, giving away a baseball winner. I love, and I bet Kershaw under 70 and a half strikeouts this shortened season. In the last two years, he's averaged just over a tad a strikeout an inning. Look at the last four years, 165 innings a year. Use that four-year average of Ks to innings pitched. He'd have 64.7 strikeouts in a 60-game season. And that assumes an awful lot. How about his health? Last year, he threw more innings than he had in four years. This year, little or no spring training. The guy is 32. He's had bicep tendonitis and back issues, which have had him on the DL four out of five years. So assuming everything were quote-unquote normal, he'd pitch 61 innings this season and have those 64.7 strikeouts. Well, everything is not quote-unquote normal. So to ask him to improve his four-year average by 10% is a bit much, especially if the Dodgers have nothing to play for in the last two weeks, Kershaw under 70.5 strikeouts. I like this one too, and here's why. I think a lot of people, it just we all kind of acknowledge, yeah, you know, the pitchers won't be pitching as deep initially, you know, and there's a chance of injury. I just think it's going to be a bigger effect than people think in that regard. Not to mention every player that you bet an under on, there's a chance they're going to get COVID, be out for an extended period. So for me, if you have counting stats like K's and you got a big name and you're saying under, I mean, I don't even need to hear the rest. And I know at least I at least lean that way. So there's a reason the boys are the boys here. I'll try. I'll try. My best to keep up. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Okay, here's our bet. And I like this. Matt Stafford. Some call him... What was the nickname? It was... Stat, uh, stat, pack, stat Packer, yeah. Matt, <laughs> but look at how this fellow did last year. I didn't realize this. Well, you know, I obviously he had, you know, such a family drama, family, you know, tragedy, health scare, or, you know, health concern with his wife, cancer, and then he got hurt. So he played eight games, so exactly half the games. And if you actually look at the minutes, he played, or even more on point, the snaps. He played exactly 50% of the snaps at quarterback for the Lions. So you could, you know, the counting stats, you can double. Let's look at his stat line here. So his completion percentage, which is not a counting stat, 64%. So his career average is 62.5. So it wasn't his best year but in that regard, but above career average. His yards, if he double his yards... He would have had 4,998 yards. He had 2,499. So he would have had almost 5,000 yards. 
That would be his second best season ever. In 2011, he had 5,038. So it's very possible he would have had the most yards ever on a season. His touchdowns, if you would double them, he would have had 38 touchdowns, 19 times two. That would have been his second best season ever. Year before, he had 21. Year before, 29 and 24. So 24, 29, 21 for full season, 16, 16, 16 games. By the way, in 2011, he played 16 games, and he played 16 games in 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. He missed zero games. So injuries are not his thing. Okay, it's pretty good. 38 touchdowns. How many interceptions? Well, he had five. So that means he'd have 10. 38 and 10 would have been his splits. Yards per attempt, advanced metric people love, 8.6. 8 freaking point six yards. Average in the NFL, 7.5. The best Stafford ever had was 7.9. 8.6. His quarterback rating, 106. Never was over 99. This guy had a monster year. And if you just average out his QBR, which, you know, isn't exactly right, but the per game, it'd be rounded up to 70, 69.6. Where's 70 rank last year? Would have been fifth. Who feels like Stafford had the fifth best season last year? He doesn't need to be. The, we're not voting him, betting him to be the MVP. We're betting him to be the most improved player. Comeback player of the year, I guess, is what they call it. Eight to one odds. Eight to one odds. Stafford would have had the most touchdown passes in the league at 38. And we know there's no guarantee. But remember, if he did that with his wife and all the stress and you got to figure coach's job is on the line. This feels like an all-in year for the Lions. Cam Newton has these, you know, obviously Cam has a heck of a chance to win this thing. But these kind of voted awards, it's about narrative. It's about the story. So you got the guy that could, you know, quite frankly, hasn't been able to help his team win, but always had the arm, always had the pretty decent stats. And his wife, cancer, He's injured. I mean, you can almost hear the Rocky music in the background. And then he comes out and has a, if he has, first off, if he has the year he had last year over 16 games, it's almost a lock. But I'm saying, I'm not sure he has to have even 70% of that year. If Cam, if Cam doesn't have a good year, I, I mean, obviously Stafford has to have a good year or they'll keep going down the list. I mean, Gurley could have a good year in theory. I mean, who else, who's the other favorites? Big Ben. Oh, Lord. Listen, the media does not like Big Ben. And, I mean, I'm listen, if he – let's just say this. If he wins, he'll have to win by a distance statistically. I think Stafford wins the tiebreaker against Big Ben. You know, or I think even if it's Big Ben's a little ahead statistically. And we're getting 8-1, to one, right? This bet, if it wins 15% of the time, we're winning. So I like it a lot. 8-1. to one. We're going to make it official. What do you think, Mackenzie? I love it. I mean, consider how much the media likes the uh, Stafford story compared to what you hear about Big Ben in the offseason. And RJ, we trust you. We're getting money. on him, baby. Here we go. Let's get it. Tuition paid. Except it was free. All right. <laughs> we told you. It bears repeating. Coming up here, we got some 
Sleepy wrote this. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Check this out. Let's see how Sleepy wrote it. So we have some cool betting stuff topics. What? So we have some cool betting stuff topics. Weren't able to get into the pods that I really wanted you guys to hear. Oh, he's writing in the first person. We also have some other concepts in poker and some comedy <laughs> surrounding Fezzik and his wife. <laughs> That's called Saturday Night. Hope you guys enjoy it. That was me. ad living, by the way. Talk to you then. Well, Sleepy's right. Listen up. Talk to you next week. Fezzik's back. And we'll hear about his wife. Oh, it's a good game. Colin was ahead of this one. Opening number. Ravens three and a half. Now, it was five, you know, it was, but it got to seven really quick. Maddie, are you familiar with this line move? Can you explain or Fez, who's got the better feel of when the move happened? I know it was quick. With the Baltimore Ravens number? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was right out of the gate. Look, this is when you see syndicate action. People always talk about syndicates, and I'm going to break the mold here, and maybe this isn't the place to do it, but I'm going to break the little secret. It's Most exactly books the place take to do syndicate it. bets. They'll take bets from the syndicates, but they limit them heavily. So they take those bets early. So if you're a syndicate and you already know you're going to be heavy, heavily limited, when are you going to be most likely to bet? Early in the week when your numbers disagree the most with the odds makers numbers. So what we tend to see the syndicate bets the most is very early because that's when they say, hey, my my numbers disagree with theirs. I'm going to hammer them. And then if the numbers move late, they come back in again. I thought that this this line moved very quickly. So let's talk about what you said because I think that there's a lot of history saying otherwise, so I want to understand it. One is when we say syndicates, let's use that. This is what what I consider a syndicate. A group of bettors who all work together using advanced analytics and algorithms as the baseline for their betting. I think that's fair. Now let's break that up into big syndicates versus not big or small. To me, a big syndicate, if they're betting an NFL game, at minimum wants to get down 50 What 000. do we consider like Raz? Not nothing. I mean, like, because it's in, in that case, that is something where it's a very illiquid market, the college basketball totals. Oh, no, I'm sorry. When I say not, I meant uh, that would be, I guess, if there's, like you said, groups of people betting that, which brings up interesting points about when things are released and the, the pr premature line moves. But getting that's just a rabbit because i hear about these mysterious betting syndicates but what i want to know well, let's is, use let's use uh, where someone, are they betting let's use someone like billy back in the day not as let's a person we're billy. talking about sure. but say abstractly someone like billy sure he when billy was looking to bet he was looking to get down hundreds of thousands right yes and and he was given days when he was allowed to bet and billy always bet twice right at the beginning of the week, mm -hmm. later on in the week. Now, here's the question, though. At the beginning, and here was where I most disagree with what you said, the bigger syndicates, and again, Dave Malinsky worked for Billy for 10 years. I picked his brain extensively. Not saying I'm right. I'm saying that's why I'm... I just know when the bets no, are And that's what I'm saying. Billy. You know so much more about this yeah. than me. So that's the starting point. That's why I want to learn about it. He always was like, when, you, when with Billy, and I don't want to quote him verbatim, the gist that I got was with Billy, he was doing, he would do enough real moves early that people took them seriously. But the main reason that he was batting early was for setups later. So let's just say to use round numbers. Uh, oh, go ahead. Every single bet he made with us was the exact same size. Okay. Because 
with you guys, you guys had, and, and again, he was always going to bet the limit. Correct. But he, always the limit. But he he was going to buy. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, he certainly bought back at least a third of the games. With you, you mm -hmm. don't even know where. Yeah, so perfect, and that's an interesting number I never heard. So early numbers, you would guess. A th and again, we're talking abstractions here, uh, not Billy. Is about a third of the games would be bought back. Now that's in. I had I had no idea that number. Twenty five to thirty five. Thirty five is way too high. Twenty five to thirty percent for sure. All right. So now imagine that scenario. He's saying, "Okay, I like these games." A little, uh, some, enough at this number. And obviously they all move for the yeah, most oh, part. Yeah. Yes. More than they should because they're, they're, booking, they're booking faces. Yep. Okay. So his thinking was, and this was Billy's trick, in my opinion. It wasn't his handicapping was so great. He had Malinsky. He had other guys. They were good. Some of the best. But other people had the best too. And my understanding is later his AI wasn't the best. His, his computer was inferior to others. Right? But what he might do is say, and again, this is my understanding. All right, I've got three games. Let's use a third just to keep it simple. I got three games I like. Two of them, I'm going to get down, move the number now. I'm going to do it across here in Vegas, offshore, and get down as much as I can. Understand that I won't get a full crack at this, maybe at this number, but hey, might as well get down whatever the, let's assume for the sake of argument he wanted, and I think this is too high, but it's a round number. He'd ideally want to get a million down across the world, right? Which I think is too high. But 100000 is too so. low. You think? Okay. All right. You, oh. But in certain cases, right? But you think... You think Back in the day, uh, and I think this is published, so I don't mind yeah. saying it. It's pretty public at this point that he used to get 300 a game at CG. Yes, yes. Right at the openers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, at the openers. Yeah. Ooh. Same bet. Early in the week, late in the week, he was the same bet. See, that's the thing, you guys... That's not fictitious. Same bet, whether he bets it on Monday or Sunday morning. See, I always, that's the thing. When I used to talk to guys before, we knew each other and they were canter guys. Some have come and gone. Is The idea was, yeah, we'll take a big crack. Because why would you ever let him buy him back if he didn't bet the same bet? Well, the theory is, is that you're letting him... Well, and he's the exception to every rule. Yeah, that's true enough. It, which, again, is why it's fascinating, right? Because yeah. he's made the most, you know, the theory is. And I think it's true. Let's do this, because this could be a longer conversation. I, I want to zero in on the 30% just for this discussion. Sure. So he's got, let's say the million's the number. And maybe he's going to get down 100,000, or, or let's say 200,000 across all his outs, because it's Sunday night, week ahead, it's tougher, Right. He's going to have two games of the three that he likes, and thus he's going to keep that side. He'll see what the line does. He might bet the second number. He might not. Who knows? It doesn't matter for this discussion. One of the games, he loves the other side, but he thinks it's, a, it's an obscure game. It's a game people aren't going to look at as a game he would play. So now he's playing the other side, and everyone's like, yep, makes sense. And the thing that Smart Money book taught, Fez, and you were talking about that book. Have you ever read that? Yes. Is that he was super worried about showing who he liked. He was worried about protecting his sides even at post where hardly any syndicate seemed to be because he he's worried about exactly what you're saying, Fez, which, again, if it's Billy, it makes sense. If Billy thinks his team's overrated, he doesn't want the books to know or the followers to know, right? So he would hide. He would make bets, he said, late to fool people because how could you bet at post 
a side you don't like. There's no buyback. He, it was just for him camouflage, as the blackjack guys call it. I mean, I don't know how much I... And this is like magicians now, revealed here a little bit. Well, but remember now, this book was written a lot later, but it really, if I remember correctly, it was like 2000 through 2003. Yes. And so it was a different I mean, year. way before Cantor. So yes. at Cant I could tell you that later on, those weren't to fool people late. They were favors. Hey, we let you bet more than anybody else uh -huh. gets to bet. We're a million high on the Packers today. Mm. How about you come in and take 300 off because that's your bet size? Or how about you take two bets worth off? And then when Billy wanted two bets later, he would get two bets on a side. And he took a lot of bets off a lot of books as favors. Hmm. Knowing that later when he wanted to double or triple bet a team, they would let him because he helped them mitigate now, their the risk. Question. Let's again talk abstractly. Because in a way... The whole camouflage part for the screen watchers, Fez was obsessing over the moves in this case, but it's like it has nothing to do with anything, right? And he was like, oh, oh, you know, so it goes to show you both in one five minute discussion, we show you where the line move made your point 100%, and a line move late would make the opposite point. I'm not saying it's 50-50, but it's not 100% on those line moves. Yeah, it's a, a great point. I know that there's plenty of people. That like in the in these illiquid markets, that they'll bet into the sharpest books the wrong way routinely just to be able to raise a college basketball total of points. Yeah, and again, Billy was able to do that on NFL games, betting hundreds of thousands right. versus you know fifteen hundred or whatever. That's on all a it really yeah. takes, RJ. Yeah. yeah, and and so to me though, his thinking is okay. Everyone's going to overreact to me batting. So if the line runs on these first two, I got to accept I'm not going to get much, you know, much more at a good number or any more. But then I get to bet some gigantic amount of money later, not only at one joint, not only the joints he initially bet because everyone's moving on air now, or yeah. at least, you know, and then boom, all of a sudden he gets. It. Think about it. he likes three games. Two of them he gets the best number for a fraction of what he wants, but he still gets the best number. The other one he gets a better number than he ever would. So all three bets make him money. Right? Does that, I mean, does that generally sound right? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's why he won. Right? He, it was like jujitsu that he was using the other person's uh, weakness. Like the other person was saying, well, Billy's bad. We got to gigantically move the number. It's like, okay, well, I'll bet that it's almost game theory. If it has exactly the right amount, that whatever I'm gaining the times I'm doing a head fake. And he was better at, at being Fez than Fez back in the day. What does that mean? I mean, can Fez call up and get the, hey, I want to triple bet this game even oh, though you limit you me? the negotiation. He could get, he was the best at that. Yeah. And what was the ration? Was it, was it, they because were Because when you got stuck shot? on a game, when you got a million uh, high on a game, you'd say, hey, Billy, man, I, I can't get any action on this Alabama Clemson game. Can you take me off a million on Clemson? Sure. But does it? But I'm million on Clemson. Wow. Yeah, sure. A stick. And then, of course, when, <laughs> when he wants a favor, you have to call it in. Now, you got to figure if you're wrestling with Billy, it's, it, he's going to get the best of it. Of course, he's but, a huge favorite. But here's the thing: it strikes me that this is the weakness we've always talked about—the whole week to week, month to month perspective of the books, typically in Vegas historically. Is why someone, they all have bankers to account to on Monday. Yeah, so they're saying we know net net, this is going to cost us money. Asking Billy for this favor is going to cost us money, but it will make this meeting easier. 
Yeah, because God That's forbid we lose $3 million on a college football game on Sunday and try to explain it on Monday. Wow, that is why these books are... And again, you know, I think talking about cancer, we haven't been specifically... I think they were more open to those losses than others, but even they weren't. Well, look, their original theory was let's hold a point and a half or two out of six billion then, rather than saying let's hold four points out of, you know, a hundred million. Are we sure that's been disproven? No, that's their theory when I started there. That's what I'm saying. But now we're talking about it in hindsight, like, oh, it was a failed thing. Was it? Or was there the legal issues? And then it was maybe some business decisions. We never got to see. Because of the legal issues that came up in one rogue employee, we never really got to see if it would have succeeded. And what would be fascinating is how would that company... So how many years since that the, the shift away from that? Has it been like five, six? Since 15, 16, so um, like four. Okay. Least. I thought it was four longer than that. Okay. Well, the Colbert thing happened late 13, that, and then that's they started what I'm to about. shift into 14. So yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah. five years. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So if that company had, Cantor had been able to move forward unencumbered, I think they'd be, wouldn't they be in a, almost a perfect position? I mean, not saying the company was perfect, but... Right now, this is what they were waiting for. They'd right? be an outlier company with a unique risk management perspective, uh, taking huge volumes. The app volumes. would probably have been figured out. Yes, their volumes of wagers would dwarf anybody in the country. Because yeah. there was a time I started in 2012, I think, where they were 40% of the Nevada marketplace. That's what I'm saying. I yeah. mean, it was billions of dollars. I mean, that's when everyone hated them. Yeah. You know? And it was, <laughs> yeah. It was like yeah. they're paying, you know, they're paying their ticket writers too much. It's like, okay, you're mad they're paying their ticket writers yeah. too much. I mean, it's just, you know, again, these, uh, these bookies, uh, I'm speaking for myself here. They, they just grew, it was a different environment. It wasn't mine, entrepreneurial. It was, you know, we're getting over on people. That, to me, was the general gist. And that's why they hate Fez, because Fez is trying to get over on them, and that's a, a tough battle. Right, Fez? Yeah, and I've been known to sneak in and... And we've heard that. You yes. actually wear costumes. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, forget about sneak. You actually put on costumes with the intent of fooling people. Is, was that a known fact? Yes, he did that. No, I, that no, no I know. Oh. I was saying, was it a known fact? Oh, yeah. Like, what, how many? Or he would go to books when they were really busy, hit ticket writer one, and then ticket writer three, and, were, and ticket you, writer five, so he'd skip one in between. So you guys, you guys were like literally watching, like the eye in the sky was trying That's to. That's why when Fez would call me and say, hey, can you talk to who, you know, so and so about my. I'd have a hard time because then they'd say, well, what about Fez hitting us? 50 times on the Miss Erroneous Parlay card or, you know. I mean, everyone you ever meet that was a bookmaker, the first time they come around here because they're starting to do something, they always tell some Fez story. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I'm It's sure. the truth. I mean, I have plenty boots, of them. Cowboy hat, walked around, a lot of action that week, a lot of action. <laughs> he was in Reno. <laughs> what was his story? Was it Reno? Yeah, the rodeo was in town, so <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to fit in with everybody. I was... <laughs> playing all my bets and went ahead and had my cowboy hat on. And do any pomp? Do any cowboys have pompadours? None. <laughs> Wore the cowboy boots, cowboy hat. Walked around. A lot of action that week. A lot of action. And when I was single, I would go out a decent amount, double down and such. And double down, double down saloon. Yes, mm. it's a famous place here in Vegas, amongst people that are cool. And you never heard of it. <laughs> 
No. Yeah. So, <laughs> Mackenzie, you've been in Vegas how long? You've probably heard of it, right? I've been here since 2013, and that sounds very familiar. I oh, think my gosh. I think that's where my cool friends go. I, I, guess, <laughs> I guess this is why we have such good hardcore guys doing their research. They're not out <laughs> at the bars. But what, what, what I'll say is that even if you were super social, and Matt, you've had your time single. You're married now. How many people could you actually even get a surface impression of in a week? I, I, I'm going to say, like, if you can get 20, you're like the most social person ever. Uh, me, probably like two. It, well, exactly, right? But I'm saying even a super social. But online, the theory is that you could have some filtering process of in a city as big as Vegas, a thousand people. Yeah, right? in Vegas, you'd need it, I think. Right? Well, see, I why? Because you think that Vegas is somehow shallow? Uh, no, I, I have not personally dated, but I've been told that it's uh, hit or miss. Isn't this a good it. example, though, of the person who's telling you that is single? So thus, it's either Vegas or them. Yeah. Yes. Logically, yes. Correct. <laughs> yeah. It's usually yeah. So I would say actually Vegas, and and, and this is going to be something no one's ever said before. Like I don't think. Uh huh. Pause. Pause. All right, here it is. I think if you like smart people, who aren't hyper-educated because there is a downside to the hyper-educated people because for the most part, they're not salt of the earth. It's usually an inverse relationship between someone that would, let's say, want to, uh, what's a good example of bouncing? You know, wanna, let's say go down to First Friday and, and not just where the art stuff is, but, you know, go down to a couple of the dive bars. If you're someone that wants to kind of be a knock-around type person, and I'm not saying everyone does, but so, and Matt, I think you're knock around type actually for an intellectual. Yeah, I think I would have had a great time if I was single in Vegas. Exactly, because what you get is a lot of people who are smart enough to move to Vegas. Because if you don't have a college degree and you're decent looking, it's by far the place you're going to make the most money. Because the dealing, I mean, just all the dealers, blackjack, etc., is so good. That, you know, back, I don't know what the numbers are today, but I know 10 plus years ago, the average dealer in blackjack was making 80K. And I mean, that's, you know, obviously with COVID-19 or whatever, it's different. But, you know, before that, it's had to have gone up. So, Fez, does that number sound right? Yeah, and it was so coveted. It does sound right, RJ. And my understanding is that for a long time, if you didn't have juice to get one of the jobs, the only way to get it was basically, hate to use the word bribe, but that's what it was, someone who was the decision maker in order to get into yeah, a premium spot. I hear spot. you, but if you, listen, the saying with VCs is you, if you don't know someone that knows us, then you don't know enough people. Right. So you got to get a warm introduction typically with a uh, venture capitalist. Well, if you are in Vegas for any length of time and you don't know someone that knows someone, you're not social enough for those jobs anyway. That's a great point. So someone who's social and good looking and I'm not talking model, I'm talking decent or let's say good looking is going to make so much money in Vegas. And anyone who's kind of looking to use their brain, not to get over, but, you know, that doesn't have a college degree. You know, to me, the thing I loved that drew me here was it's the most Darwinian place on Earth that literally you come here. If you're smart enough, you don't ever have to work a straight job. And if you're not, you're going to be working a straight job. And maybe it's poker. Maybe it's blackjack. Maybe it's sports, whatever it is. Some other advantage play. This is the place that you don't need any. You can be a high school dropout. And if you're a great poker player, does anyone care? You're a high school dropout? 
No. What was Stu Unger's education? No one probably knows. He, high school dropout. Yeah. Right? Didn't you think anyone ever put up their nose at Stu Unger? This is America. Vegas is America distilled down to its best and its worst. And it's also, if you have any leak, it's going to get you. If it's women, it's going to get you. If it's drugs, it's going to get you. If it's um, uh, you go on tilt, it's going to get you. If you don't have a, it, whatever the leak is, and there's a, a couple ways women can be the leak. It can be the strippers or it can be the wife that eventually takes half. The leak is going to get you in Vegas. Faz, yeah, did you and, know I th- that? and I think we saw that, you know, we, we, we obviously with Stu Unger, but we've seen, you know, other gamblers where, you know what, when you're running good and you're making tons of money year after year and then it becomes more difficult or you just have a down year because of variance. If when your bankroll gets shot, then you're out of business because then you can't risk what you need to risk in order to make that kind of money. And there's too many guys that year after year are spending all the money that they're winning, not anticipating that negative variance. You're not just going south in terms of their abilities, but just variance gets catches yeah, up to it's a lot almost, of guys. It's almost impossible for someone that hasn't had that year. Everyone's the, the person that's not like that. Right? I'm the exception. That's what everyone thinks until they have the first one. And then the question is, can they recover from it? Because some people, it breaks their ego and they can never have the confidence to do it again. Others are so horrified at how low they got because of that year, they never want to risk it again. You know, uh, Nogranyu, Daniel, was uh, made a great point. He got broke by the big game four times and the fifth time he stuck. What's more rare Daniel having enough talent to stick there or being willing to go back the fifth time? It's an interesting question. Yeah, because who's going to come back even the third time? It's a well, great point. And even in the movie Rounders, you know, at the very beginning, um, Damon mentions, you know, hey, a lot of the pros, top pros, won't even play No Limit. They simply can't handle the fluctuations in that game. And to some degree, that sounds outdated, but. Remember, until Moneymaker, it was hard to find a no-limit game in Vegas. I mean, literally, the World Series main event was decided by it. They just weren't around. I mean, I was at the Mirage every freaking night for a couple of years when I was doing more, more poker than sports. And this was between 98 and January 98 and when the Bellagio opened, which I think was June of 2000, maybe. But if that sounds right, but I don't know. But you might want to look at it, McKenzie is I was, I was as much of a regular at the Mirage as anyone. And I'll tell you right now, there wasn't a no-limit game spread there for two and a half years once. And that was the wow. biggest... That was a, or Let's just say this. I never saw... I mean, there might have been a private game up, you know, up the steps or whatever. So I shouldn't say... I, it wasn't something on the... You know, an open game on the board that I ever saw. And I was there probably 40-plus hours a week. And, you know, it was all limit. It was all limit. And that wasn't because I don't know why, you know, in fact, the, the point was right. What we've seen ha- in the movie, what we've seen happen is the, the, the good players get the money so fast at no limit that the game gets itself choked out. But what ended up happening was there was such an influx of people coming in because of all the TV. It was fine. But I mean, how's the no limit games now? They're freaking horrendous or they're, they're almost, un- well, I guess they're not unbeatable. The two-five game now is tougher than the five-ten game used to be, and the five-ten game was a good game. You can make a living at that. A good five-ten player 
can make a good living over a hundred. And I, I, there were certainly years I could have made over a hundred playing cards if I would have done a 40 plus hours during the moneymaker boom. Right. That is not, I, if I could make 40 playing cards now, I'd feel lucky. Now my game would get better if I was playing 40 a week. Right. And trying to make 40 on the year. But boy, that is a hard way to make an easy living. Yeah, right? and, and bottom line is you'd have to go game selection. You'd have to play, you know, Friday night from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. and you're pick, right. And, and pick the games that you could make your 40 bucks an hour, and they wouldn't be good hours to work. And if you want to play online, you know this, RJ. Uh, well, gosh. I was never an online guy, but I conceptually understand. Oh my God, online! You know, a typical five uh, ten game in cash—that's like a—that's like a fifty cent dollar game on online in terms of literally. Um, like on WSOP, if you look at these tables, you see the same guys. It's it, it literally is pro, 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 just waiting for one tourist to come in or one local to just rip them apart. And in no limit games, that's the key. I'd rather play in a game, let's say it's eight-handed, so there's seven other players, with one bad guy and seven guys better than me than I would in a game that everyone was about my level. Because that bad guy gets picked off. You just got to get lucky enough to be the one. One, you know, he'll get picked off three times, probably, right? So, you know, if he does, and it, you got to hope he wins a hand, right? A, you know, <laughs> sure. a, a sixty forty, and you know, forty for him or whatever. And that—that's how you, you know, it really is not like that in limit. But most people listening probably have only played no limit in a way, right? Because it's been so many since the boom. It'll be interesting to see if the limit gets to be big. I know it's bigger than it was five years ago. So, all right. Should we mention, RJ, WSOP just came out with the news, uh, postponement, hoping to have the World Series of Poker live in the fall. We will see, right? Yeah, we're going to try. Matt actually has a history. Hollywood Matt has a history <laughs> with p- poker. So what, what did you what did you do? You did esports, and did you, did you do poker? Or you know a lot of people that do poker. I was a producer for the esports company, which was a sister company to Poker Go, which produced WSOP. Yeah, and actually, our new audio engineer, uh, would, uh, Daniel, what's he do with uh, poker? Is he the head engineer over there? No, he's the A one, which is the head operational guy who he does the audio recording and engineering during live shows. Damn, no wonder Fezzik sounds so good. Now, once I get back in the studio to my new setup, I, 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 you want to talk about jonesing for something. Jeez. You know, last thing is uh, I told one Chico Baker story before. He was a famous guy at the Mirage, and he kind of befriended me. He was any new guy he wanted to see if he could take him somehow. And But, you know, once he saw he couldn't, he was, uh, you know, if anything, he taught me a lot of the tricks of Vegas. I just kind of defending myself from him. But <laughs> he actually got barred from every place eventually because he, he was uh, always trying to you know, catch the whole cards of people like crazy. And um, I'm not sure what he got because I was already not playing as much. But he, uh, a guy who still works for me, he was my college roommate, had lived in Vegas and he heads up customer service. Mark, Mark's a big dude. I'll just say this. I mean, like a big guy. He's not 280. He's a big guy. And when he met Chico, Chico looks straight at him without saying a word before. And he says, the buffets, they're the great enemy. And then he turns around and walks away. (laughs) 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 He was always telling you what what was going to get you in Vegas, right? And this was 98, which was, again, a different time because Vegas had 
a big influx of people for probably five years prior, but it was still the influx hadn't dominated. Now, you know, back then, if you met someone who went to school that was that went to grade school in Vegas, it was it was um, the rarest thing because the, there was enough of an influx that there was most people hadn't. But no one who was part of the influx had yet had enough time, like their parents being the influx. Now, almost everyone I meet that's younger is from Vegas because it's all the kids of the people who came during the time when I came. So it's kind of interesting where there was that rarity back then. Now you might think, oh, well, there's even more people coming to Vegas. Yeah, but there's so many of them. It's been here now a generation and a half. So, yeah, it's funny. As much as I... I would, like with today's eyes, I would love to go spend a month in Vegas in 98. Even though I was there, I didn't know so much what to look for. I, I just was, it's like anything though, right? It's always like that. When you're experiencing it, you don't realize what it's going to seem like contextually in hindsight, right? I was, I was whining we didn't see the old Vegas back then. Oh, it'd be nice mm. if we could have seen Sinatra. And it's like... Now I feel like when I read about something that happened in 98 in Vegas, I'm man, that was a long time. And it's like, well, that was here. So <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing in that regard. And I mean, Faz, you came, you know, what, a couple years after, right? Yeah, two, 2001. I still don't know how I missed WrestleMania. What was it, 9 or 11, the one where the Hulkster won against Yoko Ono? That was at Caesars. I said, like, how did I miss that? Well, you were probably, uh, you know, doing something, volunteering for some type of ecologically sound. <laughs> It's probably a video poker promotion no, no, that no, was no. paying. I, I, oh, I think you were doing something to help uh, the recycling effort. Yeah, yeah.